This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, open your Bibles with me. We're going to go back to the book of Judges. I know it's, a, it's an interesting book. Pastor Michael Gamble was with us from McKinney, Texas last week. How many of you guys who were here enjoyed that? And he told the story about Gideon. Gideon was an Israelite who God used to win a very significant battle in the history of God's people. And as you guys may or may not know, Gideon had to contend with a whole lot of forces from within and without his life, meaning there were things going on within the culture surrounding Gideon at the time that had presented some major problems to him. One of those things being idol worship, idol worship. In Gideon's time, when you would worship an idol, you would actually take a piece of wood and you would carve an image on it. How many of you guys know they didn't have Samsung TVs and they didn't have smartphones and iPads and the movies and the cinema? No, they had to actually make physical idols that they would then give their heart and their affection and their time to. And so cultures would do this. They would craft idols in the image of their own people and gods, gods that they worshiped and served. One of those they named Baal. Baal was one of the the big uh, gods in the culture of the day. And Baal was one that oftentimes created problems for the people of God. Because what would happen is God would give Israel favor and victory and blessing and then Israel would become lazy and they would fall back into old ways and old habits and they would intermarry with other tribes and other cultures and the cultures of the people they mixed with began to influence them. So much so that they would begin to not worship the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would worship Baal. And so God comes to Gideon and says, this is how I want you to construct the altar. Pastor Michael talked about the different altars last week. And if you missed that message, please go on youtube.com slash Courageous Church and you can catch up on that. But it was an awesome Awesome, awesome message. And so God tells Gideon through the angel how to construct the altar that he wants him to build. But interestingly enough, and we kind of fast forwarded past it last week, Gideon is then told by God to go back to his family's household, to go back to his father's house, which in this day and age, everybody lived together. All right, so if you got married, chances are you were still living with mom and dad somewhere in the backdrop. Everybody took care of old people. They didn't send them off to uh, assisted living centers. Everybody lived together. And so there was this community reality that people were engaged in back at this time. And so God tells Gideon to go back to your household, go back to your father's house and do two things. Are you ready? Tear down the altar of Baal. Tear Tear down the altar that your family and your father have created in light of this other God. And then take the Asherah, the the wooden idol that you guys have carved an image on and 
break that up and use that as firewood for the altar that you're going to break down. And so Gideon is given this imperative by God to go and tear down the altar and tear down his idols. And I believe that right now the church, that's you and me, those of you who have put your faith in Christ Jesus, are living in a time where God is wanting the church to clean house. He's wanting the church to tear down its idols and tear down its altars. Idols, altars, altars, and idols. Both things that you and I contend with each and every day, don't we? What would be the modern day equivalent of an altar in 2021? Uh, How about a place of significance where you tend to gather and or spend a lot of time? I don't know about you, but uh, for, for me, that could be a lot of different things outside of the church. Uh, if you like to ski, uh, there's nothing wrong with skiing. I love to ski. I actually snowboard, but I love to snowboard. But the mountain could very easily become an altar, could very easily be a place of worship, right? And we see this as outsiders, people that haven't grown up from within Utah, but have come from without. We see people get enamored with beauty and creation in the mountains and the outdoors. And they see this place and they go, it's paradise. But paradise quickly becomes a prison when you start worshiping at its altar. In fact, Romans would go on to say that creation, God's creation, began to worship creation, exchanging the truth for a lie, rather than worshiping the creator. So if we're not careful, we can create an altar to paradise and it becomes a prison for us. It becomes a force in our life. What other altars might we be constructing these days? Well, I'll let you think that through and answer that for yourself. But what about the idols, right? The, 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 the carved uh, graven images that, that were commanded not to have. Well, that could be almost anything. Anything could be an idol in our life today. Your phone could be an idol in your life. This week I discovered that I was spending way too much time grabbing my phone and looking at it. Anybody else feel me on that one? Nope, just two of us? Okay, I'm talking to, oh, okay, there's more of us. Good, just making sure. Nothing wrong with the phone. Nothing wrong with creation. But if we're not careful, those things can become altars and idols in our life. There's probably other things that we could draw attention to, but what's interesting is that we're living in a cultural moment right now where you and I are suffering from the lowest attention span that we've ever had as people. You know what I found out this week? That about 15 to 20 years ago, our attention span collectively used to be about 15 to 20 seconds. You think 15 to 20 seconds, that's not very long. It wasn't. Fast forward to 2020, 2021, you know what it is now? Eight seconds. Our collective attention span is eight seconds, meaning if I don't dance or do something on this stage within eight seconds, chances are your mind's going to (laughs) drift. That's why preachers get accused of having to entertain because we just can't seem to stay focused, can we? You know what's funny? Our attention span, eight seconds. A goldfish, nine. We now have a lower attention span than a goldfish. This is sad. (laughs) We should all laugh and then cry. (laughs) 
I've noticed it with my kids. That's why we started taking away the devices in our kids' lives. Man, that was hard. You should have heard the, the crying and the, the sobbing that took place when we began to take away the video games and the screens and all the stuff that can quickly become what? Altars and idols in our life. It's interesting that if you talk to people that work within big tech, you talk to the people behind Google and Facebook and Twitter and all these amazing tech companies, they'll tell you, I don't let my kids on iPads. I don't let my kids have a phone. I don't let my kids have social media. And I'm going, what do they know that we don't know? What are they in on that we are not in on? I think now, and there's lots of documentaries that have, have looked at this, uh, I think we've started to see the effects of this in our culture. And so tonight, I want to take a little bit of a, of a left turn or a, a rabbit trail, if you will, and talk about how God begins to raise Gideon up after this moment, after this moment of tearing down the altar of Baal that was in his life and breaking up and dismantling his idols. It's interesting to me that right after this, Gideon does this, and then God says, now, and only now, are you ready for the victory that I want to give you and the people? I believe that we are living in a time where God is saying the same thing to the church. I want you to dismantle your altars and your idols so that I can bring victory into your life. Anybody want victory in their life? A lot of times we can be guilty of overstressing the win. But I got to say this, doesn't it beat losing? I may be accused of a lot of things, but I don't want to be accused of being a loser. And neither do you. And neither does Gideon. So tonight, we're going to talk about the torch and the trumpet. The torch and the trumpet. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in Judges chapter 7, verse 15 through 22. And we'll have it up on the screen for you, for those of you that don't have your Bibles with you. So Gideon, as we know in chapter 6, tears down the altar. He tears down the idols. And then God says, I'm going to use you in a powerful way to bring victory to the people. Here's what it says in verse 15. As soon as... As Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets, say trumpets, trumpets, trumpets into their hands, all of them, with empty jars and with torches, say torches inside those jars. Verse 17. And he said to them, look at me and do what I do. Do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. I, I like to think that Gideon added that last part. <laughs> for the Lord... And for Stephen, for the Lord, and for Christina, for the Lord, and for Terrell, 
for the Lord and for Jason. You know what's cool about that? It invites us to write our own name in there. Here's the, the temptation to read this story about being about them. But I believe the Bible is a story about them, but written for us. Meaning that we can put ourselves into the story as well. And I like what happens next. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that had the torches in them with their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand, say left hand, the torch. And in their right hand, say right hand, the trumpet, the torch and the trumpet. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. I love that. And every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army and so the army fled. So in this moment, Gideon and the 300 that we learned about last week show up with a torch and a trumpet. A torch and a trumpet. As I sat in that seat last week and watched Pastor Michael preach, and read from this text, these two things jumped off the page. The torch and the trumpet. And I said, God, what is it about the torch and trumpet that we might apply and or relate to within our own life? And I feel like the Lord said this, your torch is your prayer life. Your torch is your prayer life. Tonight I want to start by asking this question. Is your torch lit and burning? Does it have fuel? What are you doing to fan its flame? What and whom are you praying for? How's your prayer life? Can I be honest? For many years, I struggled to pray. You know why? Because I thought, rather erroneously, that my prayers had to be big and godly and use lots of adjectives and be extra spiritual. I thought I had to have a PhD in prayer before God would hear me. I soon found out that prayer is as simple as talking to God, sharing your heart. And for those of you that are willing, stepping into the gap on behalf of another who could use prayer. Your torch or your prayer has power to bring light to the city. I believe prayer is powerful. James 5 verse 16 says this in the very next slide. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
The prayer of a righteous person. If you have placed your faith, hope, and trust in Christ Jesus, guess what? You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You qualify. You meet the requirements of what it means to be a righteous person, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. Not because of your account, but because of Christ's righteousness that has been imputed, is the word that the Bible uses, into your account. You qualify for this. I qualify for this. This is good news. It means that nobody who believes in Jesus is left out. Sometimes we think that we should leave the prayers to the real holy people, right? The real spiritual people, the people that just kind of have it all figured out. I haven't met any of those people yet, by the way. Prayer is for you and prayer is for me. Prayer is not just for the intercessor or for the pastor or for the prophet or the evangelist or the teacher. No, prayer is for each and every person who calls upon the name of the Lord. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, meaning it's effective. It's like dynamite waiting to be unleashed, James says, which means that your prayer and your intercession matters. This is why, and you guys will hear me say it probably till the day I die, that we are a people who are passionate about prayer. It's one of our core values. It's one of the things that we like to practice as a people. When we get together, we create intentional moments for prayer because we believe, like James believes, that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. It's also why we come together every week on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to intentionally pray together for one hour. I said a year ago, God, the least we can do as a church is give you one hour a week where we come together to do just one thing, and that's pray. It's to pray and to worship, which brings me to number two tonight. Number two, your trumpet, on the other hand, is your worship. Your trumpet is your worship. Gideon had his torch and he had his trumpet. This is why I want to ask us the question, what are you pressing your lips to? My brother used to play trumpet in high school. I used to play guitar. Still do, obviously. But he took up the trumpet for whatever reason. He just thought the trumpet was cool. Now, it could be because we were growing up in South Orange County, California, and at that time, ska was kind of a big deal. Anybody remember ska? Come on. You know what I like about ska is happy music. I throw on some supertones. Now I'm starting to date myself. I throw on some supertones, and my mood just instantly lifts. I'm like, yeah, all right, let's let's ska. Let's, Let's do this. Ska was a, was, a, was a kind of a cultural phenomenon that took place in the, in the late 80s and then kind of was extended uh, by a few bands that became super popular in the early 90s and mid-90s and uh, into the late 90s. But a lot of what constitutes the music of ska is the trumpet. There's the saxophone, there's the trombone, and there's the trumpet. And so my brother, he was inspired to play the trumpet, and he would sit in his room and he would play... <laughs> God help him, the theme from Jurassic Park. You guys remember it? All right. Anybody that was around in 1993 remembers the theme from Jurassic Park. So I would hear that 
every day for hours. And I thought I was going to go crazy. My brother was pressing his lips up to his trumpet. He was giving significance to what he was giving his air and his breath to. That's why I believe the trumpet symbolizes our worship. Because worship is all about what you're giving your voice and breath to. We know it's not just all about singing. It encompasses a lot of what we do when we sing. But it's our whole life's response to what we are giving our life to. What we are giving our voice and breath and value to. It's worth-ship. It's what we consider to be worthy of our praise and adoration. What are you giving your worship to? What are you pressing your lips to? Here's the, the word that the Bible likes to use for worship in the Greek. It's proskuneo. Proskuneo, meaning to bow down and kiss. It was a term used in this day, in the first century, uh, in the time that the, the New Testament was, was beginning to be uh, written and recorded. It was a term often used by Romans when their dogs would come and kiss and lick their feet. Now, I've got two Malamutes and an English bulldog. And one of my Malamutes, for whatever reason, is obsessed with kissing and licking my feet. I don't know why. It's kind of weird, and it grosses everybody out. How many of you are not feet people? Just the thought of it, right, makes you cringe a little bit, and it should, because what my dogs are doing to me is worship. They're, they're worshiping their master, absolutely, Lori. They're, they're bowing down, they're submitting themselves to, they're pressing their lips against my feet, and they're kissing or, or licking them. Matthew chapter 4 verse eight through nine. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship. The word he uses is this word, proskuneo, me. The devil was essentially asking the son of God to lick his feet, to bow down and worship him. That's why I wonder about what we're worshiping. Not just on Sunday when we all gather together, and I love gathering together to worship, but what about on Monday? What about when you're really mad at your spouse or, or boyfriend or girlfriend? What about when it's just you and the Lord or you and Netflix or you and Instagram? What are you worshiping? What are you pressing your lips to? In other words, how are you using your trumpet? Are you tracking with me tonight? I believe this, that your worship has the power to bring a sound to your city. Because your worship, next slide, Liam, and sound is unique. Only you can worship like you do. Only you can offer your worship unto God. I can't offer worship for you. I can't offer worship on behalf of my kids. They are at the age now where they have to decide who they're going to worship, who they're going to serve, who they're going to bow down and kiss the feet of. But when we understand the value and the importance of our sound, 
of our life's response and worship, we begin to understand that it carries a, a unique authority that nobody else has. Why the devil wanted Jesus to bow down and worship him was because he knew that if he could get the son of God to give up his authority, then he truly would have it all, wouldn't he? In the same way, I believe that the battle that you and I face in the world today is not about what political party you endorse. It's not about how much money you have saved up in the bank. It's not about whether you're mad at your neighbor for blowing leaves into your yard or not. It's not the earthly things and conflicts that we see all over the news. The battle being waged today is for your worship. It's for your trumpet. How are you going to use it? Are you going to play the song of the world? Or are you going to worship the Lord? You're going to worship God. Your worship has the power to bring a sound to the city. I like what it says here in Exodus chapter 23, verse 25. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and your water. Some of you are like, ah, we don't need to pray before we eat. Well, here you go. And God says, I will take away sickness from among you. Why are some of us sick? Because we're worshiping at the wrong altar. Because we're worshiping the wrong idols. Because we're giving our voice and our breath to a false god that has now become a real god and a stronghold in our life. Worship is powerful. Prayer is powerful. And I believe that many of us who call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus have been at battle with an enemy that exists within this valley and we've been fighting with the wrong armor and weapons. We've been trying to run at the enemy and we've been trying to push and trying to pull down things in the natural we, we war with people on social media and we lob grenades at those who look, think, and act differently than us in hopes that they might conform to our image of what we think worship should look like. We've been fighting with all the wrong weapons, fighting with all the wrong armor. There's an interesting story in the life of David when he goes to initially fight and face Goliath. And King Saul wants to put his armor on David. And David goes, I, I can't use this. This isn't my armor. This doesn't belong to me. And can I say this prophetically? I feel like the church has been fighting with the wrong armor on. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us what the right armor is, by the way, in case you want to know. Prayer and worship, I believe, are our keys as the body of Christ here in Utah, here in Salt Lake City, in the valley, to victory. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning they're not fleshly, they're not of the flesh, meaning you can't argue, persuade, or get mad at people, but our weapons are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. We are fighting a battle 
And we are called to use weapons. What are the weapons, I wonder, that God wants us to use to fight and win this battle? Oh, Judges, chapter 7, the torch and the trumpet. Prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. And look at the response. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword, meaning the enemy's sword upon itself, and the army fled, and the enemy left. When you pray and when you worship, the enemy will flee from you. Why? Because his stronghold has already been dismantled and demolished because we've torn down our altars and we've cast down our idols, which means that he no longer has any power in your life because you have actively resisted him through prayer and proper or rightful worship. That's the invitation here. We see it with Jesus. What does Jesus go on to say and do in Matthew chapter four? Skipping ahead to the next verse, Liam. Verse 10 through 11, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to Jesus. James chapter four, verse seven says it this way. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Not he might flee from you, but he will flee from you. He will move away from you. Why? Because when you pray and when you worship, when you actively resist him and submit your life to God the way that the scripture commands us to, he has no other choice but to flee. That should be good news to somebody tonight. Oftentimes when people call me over to their house to pray, my wife and I will come in and we'll pray and we'll first ask, what might there be in this house that has created an opportunity for an altar or an idol to exist? A few months ago, a couple in our church, they haven't been here in a while, asked us to come over and pray. And as I was just getting ready to start praying, the Lord said, hold up, hold on. I want to address a couple things here that have created some strongholds in their life. And I said, okay. And I just sat for a moment, and sometimes I'll do this. I'll just sit and pray, and I'll say, okay, God. And I'll just kind of wait, and I'll just kind of let him, through the power of his Holy Spirit, begin to speak to me. Oftentimes, what that means for me is not that I hear an audible voice. I'm not crazy. What that means is that I begin to hear within my own heart, within my own uh, body, a voice that's very quiet. And the voice usually isn't mine, uh, because it doesn't shout and get loud like I do. It's very quiet. And when I wait long enough to hear it, it's powerful, usually because of what God wants to say. And he said, I want you to ask them if they are fascinated or in love with horror movies. I said, that's kind of odd, but okay, let's do this. I said, is there any chance that you are fascinated or in love with horror movies? And she goes, oh my God, yes. Oh, I just, I can't get enough of it. I just, I love it. And I go, huh. Well, before we pray and ask God to move in your life and in your house, you might need to 
tear down this altar and dismantle this idol in your life. Oh, but I just really love it. Therein lies the conflict for many of us. We've been flirting with the enemy. He doesn't bother us if we just kind of let him sleep over on that side of the bed. You know, it's not a big deal. Just soft porn. Just Netflix, you know, a little, little bit of skin. I mean, it's trending. It's in the top 10 of, the, of all the movies that everyone's watching right now. Right? Oh, it's just, it's just casual sex. It doesn't mean anything. Flirting with the enemy. Because the enemy knows if he can grab a hold of our hearts, if he can just sink a little hook into them, he has us. He owns us. That's what he wanted to do with Jesus. Jesus, just bow down. Just give in. It's not that big of a deal. Think about all of the glory and the kingdoms and the wealth and the power that I could give you, Jesus, if you just give me a little kiss. Some of us have been kissing all the wrong things. We've been kissing the frog, hoping to meet the prince or the princess. And that frog ain't changing. That frog ain't gonna change. You know why? Because the enemy won't change. He, he, he wants you to think he will. He likes to come in like a friend. He likes to come in as something casual. That's how addiction begins, doesn't it? Come on, I know I'm talking to some people that have gone through recovery tonight. Some of you are still going through it. Praise God. This is a safe place. We hope you, we hope you do. We hope you were encouraged. But can I tell you right now, there are a lot of people that have been taken out by addiction. Some of you, you've had your own family and friends and spouses and family members taken out by addiction. What is the lie of addiction? I, I can stop anytime I want to right? I've got power over this. No, you don't. Not really. Not if you're still kissing. Not if you're still making out. Not if you're still bowing down to that altar and that idol. Guys, I know this is heavy tonight. You're like, whoa, Pastor Jason, this is heavy. Good. Good. Because the change that we all want, the revival that we've been praying for, the renewal that we want for our lives and marriages and children is going to start when we get serious about this stuff, when we get serious about submitting ourselves to God. And last time I checked, God is a jealous and zealous God. He won't share his glory with another. Why? Because you weren't made to. You were meant to be his and his alone. That's why through prayer and worship, when you resist the devil, he has no choice but to flee. Some of you need to stop praying for breakthrough and just resist the freaking devil and just stand on the word of God because I'm sick of getting the call. Pastor Jason, will you pray for me? I, I need help. Have you resisted the devil? Well, no, we're shacking up together. We're sharing an orthopedic mattress. It's so cozy and warm. <laughs> and I just want to go, mm, okay, Lord. Okay, don't strike the rock. Okay. But hear my heart, guys. Hear my pastor's shepherd's heart for you. The enemy likes to come in in sheep's clothing. He likes to come in masquerading as an angel of light. He'll take whatever inch of a door that you open to him. But he's like a vampire. He can't come in unless he's invited. 
I don't know how I got off on this. Maybe because Halloween's next week. I don't know. <laughs> Hear my heart. I, I, I want to see breakthrough in your life. I do. I want to see you get victory. I do. But there comes a time when you have to decide for you. And for those of you watching online, you have to decide for you if you're going to resist the devil and submit your life to God. We don't like to use the word submission in our culture. Submission, that sounds negative, right? That's, that's what an MMA person does to another guy. He makes them tap out. That's the imagery. Tap out. Stop trying to live your best life and start letting God live his life through you. Amen. Stop trying to do life on your own terms. Stop trying to control every detail and manage every aspect of what you want and start trusting your life to God. Can I tell you something? I've been walking with Jesus for over 30 years. He does a much better job being the Lord and manager of my life than I do. And he's a much better manager and Lord of your life than you are. So can we get on with submitting ourselves? How do we submit? Through prayer and worship. We come into alignment. We take the posture of one who bows down to serve the Lord. God, I, 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 it's, one of the, it's one of the commandments, isn't it? Yes. To serve God? To worship the Lord your God and him only? That's what we're called to do. Why? Because God's a control freak? Because he's an egomaniac? No, because he didn't create you to worship other gods. Your heart can't handle it. It's not good. You weren't wired by the creator to serve and worship and bow down to other gods. When we pray and when we worship, the enemy has no choice but to flee. So I want to wrap up our time with these three questions that my son has quickly put up on the screen. You got to love your pastor's kids, by the way. They just kind of have a way of getting you to kind of move on, which is good. <laughs> love you, buddy. <laughs> So here's th three questions as the worship team returns, and we're going to do one more song tonight because when you talk about prayer and worship, you have to end with worship. That's how it works. But here's the three questions that I want us to consider. What has inhibited or been a distraction to your prayer life and your worship? What is inhibited, meaning what's controlled or come against or been a distraction to your prayer life and worship? Maybe it's too much entertainment and TV. Maybe it's your smartphone. Maybe it's relationships or people that I like to call time suckers who just suck all of your time. Second question, what might God be calling you to change about your prayer life and your worship? So let's not just be people that think and reflect, but let's, let's ask ourselves, God, what do you want me to change? Maybe some of you here tonight need to stop worshiping at the, at the idol and altar of Netflix. Pick your poison, guys. I just am bearing, I'm just telling you mine. <laughs> I'm just telling you mine. I'm trying to be a living illustration for you here tonight. And then number three, what might you start doing to better strengthen your prayer life and worship? Maybe it's building rhythms into your daily life where you just stop and connect with God, where you just share your heart with him. Maybe it's you coming on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to join your brothers and sisters in Christ as we learn how to pray and worship together, right? These things are not meant to be uh, one and done. That's why we're not trying to build an event lifestyle here at Courageous Church. If you came tonight wanting an event, I'm sorry to disappoint you. We're trying to build a lifestyle. We're trying to build rhythms where you can 
Walk in this and live in this each and every day. That's God's heart for you and that's God's heart for me. So what can you do to start better strengthening your prayer life and your worship? As we stand our feet tonight and as we wrap up our time, I want us to worship. And I I want us to reflect on these three questions. And I want us to ask ourselves, are there any distractions Is there anything I need to change? Is there anything I can do better to strengthen my prayer life and worship, to use my torch and my trumpet? You receive that tonight? Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.